Praise God. Great group of young people. Amen. Well, it is so uh, great to study the book of Acts. I've really enjoyed, again, going through this, studying it, uh, preaching um, uh, through this book, and really seeing the beginning of the early church. And as we come to Acts chapter 2, we realize that begins to take off. We realize that there's these signs and wonders, in particular, these foreign languages that happen to be spoken in the heart of Judaism in, in Jerusalem. And uh, there's the question, you know, what does this all mean? And Peter stands up and he begins to preach. And at the end of that preaching time, we saw 3,000 people make a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we've mentioned that the reason why we know is because you have tens of thousands of people that happen to be gathered. And here's a small group, you know, and they separate themselves from the larger group. And they uh, come over to where the 120 followers of the Lord Jesus are. And we realize as they come forward to baptism, they're saying, again, basically, we're separating ourselves from what is false, from what is untrue, for those who even hate the Lord Jesus Christ. And we realize that. That's a true profession of faith. True profession of faith separates from that which happens to be, again, false. But the question we have to ask ourselves after that, what does Christianity do? What does the church do? How does the church fun, uh, function? We realize it separates from error, but what does it do positively? And that's where we began looking at verse number 42 last time we were together. And we looked at the first of four elements that this early church did in its infancy, in its purity. So if you want to see what authentic Christianity really looks like, the authentic church, it's right here. You know, and one of the things that they gave themselves over to, over to or devoted themselves to was the apostles' doctrine. They knew beyond a shadow of a doubt with that one sermon of Peter, they hadn't had everything figured out. They didn't know everything that could be known about this glorious, grand Lord, this God-man, Jesus Christ, the great Savior of their souls. And they wanted to learn more. And it is amazing because when you look at these four elements, people are always talking about this. You know, what the church of Jesus Christ needs today is revival. And I, I don't know if you've been following the ecclesiastical news that happens to begin out there, the church news. You know, we realize that, that there um, is lots of talk about revival, you know, today. You know, what is revival? You know, how does it come about? Uh, about? And people, again, many times want to see uh, some sort of rest restoration, some sort of life that happens to be, again, in the church that happens to be missing in the church. And let me just say, there, there's a sense where I absolutely agree, agree with that. You know, I don't want the church to be dusty, old, irrelevant, again, some dead fossil of previous years that have gone by. But I think, again, it's so important that we define terms such as, what do we mean by restoration? What do we mean by revival? Because I think for a lot of people, what they mean is not so much restoration, but reinvention. Otherwise, you know, the message that the apostles had for the uh, society, for the culture back then was absolutely pertinent, was absolutely relevant to them. But we, what we need is a message today. What we need is a message for our own society, for our own culture, one that resonates with them. And let me just say, every time you look through the last 2,000 years, years history, when you look at a movement of God's spirit, it's always been accompanied by this. It's always been accompanied by a love for the apostles' doctrine. Because at the heart of the apostles' doctrine is Jesus Christ, isn't it? You know, and you have that. You know, you have that desire to know Jesus. 
You know, and that's what they devoted themselves to. They wanted to know this Christ of their salvation. They wanted to, they were consumed with knowing him. They wanted to, uh, to know his character. And they were consumed with knowing, with loving, with glorifying this great God, this great Savior of their salvation. You know, and this is really authentic Christianity. It's a love for this great Christ. But when we realize the apostles' doctrine, that was not the only thing that they did. In fact, look, look at verse number 42 and look what's recorded here. It says, and they devoted themselves. And when it says they devoted themselves, it's talking about, again, these four elements, isn't it? It's not just talking about one, but all, all of them. They were consumed with this. And what were they consumed with? With the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And if you want to see real revival, real restoration in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's right here. You know, and as you look at these four elements, let me ask you a question. How important are they in your life? You know, if you had looked at your Christianity, as you look even at your association in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, how important are they? Because I think a lot of times we like a, a hodgepodge of things. Otherwise, we like a whole bunch of things that are laid out, and we like to pick one or two that happen to begin right here. But here they devoted themselves to all four of these elements. And let me ask you, how important are these four elements that happen to be in your life? Because we're going to talk about one this morning, and that is fellowship. And I love the way it's worded here, because it's not just fellowship, but it's this. It is the fellowship. In other words, a particular fellowship, a particular fellowship that has borders, that has parameters. And one of the reasons why I think there's such a lack of heart, such a lack of of passion that happens to be in the church of Jesus Christ is because we don't realize the heart and soul, again, of the church is really fellowship. It really is. You know, and I think a lot of times because we don't understand fellowship, we don't understand what the church is. I mean, th th think about it. Think of the most common definitions or the most common ways that people think about the church today. They think of church many times as a, as a, a geographical location. You know, it's somewhere where we go. We are going to church today. We are going to a building. We are going to an institution. And that's the way that we think of church. Either that or we think again of church as an activity. We did church today, right? It's an activity. But it's not something I belong to. It's not something, again, that's interwoven with the deepest recesses of my heart and, and with my life. And when you think of that word fellowship, when you think again how it operates and functions and happens to be in your life, what do you think of? You know, and one of the things I really want to ingrain in us as a church is what the church is. And a vital part of the church happens to be the fellowship of his members, that we're connected not only to the head, Jesus Christ, but we're really connected to one another. You know, and I want us to grow in our love for the Lord Jesus Christ and our witness, again, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're going to do this, we need to be fellowshipping. And we need to recognize what fellowship is and what fellowship isn't. And I want to look at both of those halves today. But as we look at verse number 42, I think the reason why we read Scripture over and over and over and over again, and you'll, 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 you'll hear me read verse number 42 for the next uh, two or three weeks, probably about 50 times. And the reason why is because I want you to know this Scripture. You know, I want, to, I want you to see the interconnectedness of all the elements. You know, let's just read through it one more time meditatively, and then I want us to look at what fellowship isn't and really understand some um, uh, popular misconceptions of what it, what it isn't. And when you look at verse number 42, this is what it says here, and it says, and they devoted themselves, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of prayers. And let me just say that this is true Christianity, 
This is a true living out of our faith. And if it's a true living out of our faith, this is how we give, or this is how we express hope in the world that happens to be around us. And I believe as we live out verse number 42 as a church, you know, and really enter in on all of these elements and want to enter in to all of these elements, I think, again, we're a witness to the world that happens to be around us. You know, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt as we live and as we function, even as a fellowship of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to repel some. You know, they're going to look at that and they're going to want nothing to do with it. And it's going to attract others. You know, this message of reconciliation, this message of forgiveness, this message of this relationship with this great God that happens to be above, it's always going to have that, right? That dual reaction, but there is a response in the world that happens to be around us, either being repulsed by it or attracted by it. You know, and so when we think of the word fellowship, you know, this morning, there's all sorts of misunderstandings as far as what it is, you know, how it functions in our life. And so we have to ask the obvious question, what is it? You know, and I think a lot of people, when they look at fellowship, we we even read about fellowship in 1 John this morning, and you see it appear over and over and over and over again. I think people, some people, Christian people, absolutely get perturbed with that. And the reason why is because they have so low views of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They cross their arms any time you talk about the necessity of fellowship to be a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they say this. They say there's other important things other than fellowship, more important things. In fact, I think they're even a little frustrated that all the things that Luke could have recorded that this early church did, second in the list happens to be Fellowship, they say there's more important things. And one of them, again, they will always point out, even though a lot of times they're not even involved in it, is, is evangelism. You know, you're talking about fellowship. What about evangelism? Evangelism is far more important than fellowship. And let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt that when the church truly fellowships together, truly understands what fellowship is, it has an impact on the world that happens to be around us. You know, and many of you can testify of that. Many of you knew, before you even knew the message of the gospel, you came in, you saw the fellowship of Emmanuel Baptist Church. You saw the fellowship. You saw the love. You saw the joy in Jesus Christ. And it challenged you that there was something missing that happened to begin in your life. You know, and it prepared your heart for the reception of that message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus and right at the end of this chapter, if you look at the last verse that happened to begin in this chapter, it's amazing. As they functioned in this fellowship of believers, you know, others were coming, others were being drawn, such as the Lord would save every single day as they fellowship and commune together. So it's important for us to understand what fellowship is, but it's important for us to understand what fellowship isn't. And let me give you a a few different things of what fellowship isn't. You know, some popular misconceptions that happen to begin today. And let me say that this first one is probably the most controversial. You know, and it's just become controversial. In fact, it's reared its head various different times in the church. But we've seen it again in the last few years. And that is, again, uh, the, <coughs> the fellowship that we talk about is not political in nature. You know, and the reason why I say that is because so often we want the church to stand up. We want the church to take sides. We want the church to be all blue. We want the church to be all red. You know, we want the church to be of our political persuasion. And the reason why I say that is because of the last pandemic that we have gone through. 
You know, there's those, again, and they could throw various different verses, that it's absolutely moral that you need to be vaccinated. If you're not being vaccinated, you're not a good Christian. You're not in good standing with God. And there was others that said, again, this whole thing is just a shenanigan. It's a control of government. You know, and you ought not to get um, uh, uh, vaccinated. If you're vaccinated, you're just going along with the sheep. You know, you're being led to the slaughter. This is a moral argument that's being had. And you have these people that happen to begin in both camps. And let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, and I don't mean to be glib. You know, we need to stand for right and wrong. We'll talk about that in a second. But let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, nobody has ever been saved through politics. Right? Do we realize that? That's not the message of the gospel. That's not the message that Jesus came and lived this perfect life and died this substitutionary death for sinners that happen to be again like me. You know, and the thing that always amazes me about politics is how angry people get. Isn't it true? You know, they get so angry, they get so frustrated that their political views are not being believed by other people that happen to be around them. And one of the things that we have to ask ourselves, because a lot of times we have to ask if we're being controlled by the flesh or being controlled by the spirit. And the characteristics of the spirit are given over in, um, in uh, Galatians chapter 5, and they happen to be this, gentleman, or, I'm sorry, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And I wonder how many times, you know, in our political, we read article after article after article, and we get frustrated and frustrated. You know, how many times those kind of attributes are coming out of us? Are we being led by the Spirit of God? And here's the, here's the real kicker. I think a lot of people, because when we look at fellowship, we can use it in a broad sense, not the fellowship, but fellowship. And I think a lot of people feel more at home with people who have a particular political persuasion rather than believers in Jesus Christ who do not have that, politi- uh, that particular political persuasion. And here's the thing to ask, ask yourself. Do I feel more at home in the church of Jesus Christ regardless of people's political persuasion? Or do I feel more at home with people who carry those, whether they happen to be at work, whether they happen to be in my family, whether they happen to be my neighbor? Who do I feel most comfortable with? And let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, and we realize this, right? This is the whole problem in the gospel. What did the Jews want? They wanted a political uprising. And Jesus says, I haven't come to do this. I've come to offer this great salvation. One day the kingdom will come and the king will reign and there will be a perfect government. But not this side of glory. You know, and that's what we have to realize. Now, I can be misunderstood, you know, of what I am saying. And that's why I'm going to make the second point of what fellowship isn't. And what fellowship isn't is it's not a unity at all costs. You know, when, when Luke pens this, he says the fellowship. Otherwise, he's talking about a particular fellowship. He's talking about something that operates and functions within parameters, within borders. Right? And the reason why I say that is a lot of times we think that what, well, what we have is we need to have a fellowship. We need to have a harmony. We need to have this oneness at all costs. You know, we, and that's what is even behind what is known as the ecumenical movement. And it's basically to take anyone who claims the Lord Jesus Christ under one umbrella. But I think even in conservative circles, many times we can think that. You know, we're conservative evangelicals. Everybody has to be under this one umbrella. Whether we happen to be Baptist, whether we happen to be Presbyterian, whether we happen to be Congregationalist, whether we happen to be soft charismatics. 
You know, as long as we agree on the gospel, we shouldn't make a dispute about these other things. We should all be under one of this one umbrella, this one church. And let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt that the New Testament never speaks of fellowship and never speaks of the unity in that fellowship outside of the local church. It really doesn't. You know, and that's the thing that you have to realize. We can have rich fellowship. I, I have a pastor friend who's a Presbyterian, you know, and I never get baby baptism. I really don't. You know, and uh, we, we, we have wonderful talks together. But let me say beyond a shadow of a doubt, even though I love him great, uh, greatly, the greatest love, the greatest devotion, the greatest oneness I feel is with, with those who happen to be, again, of the local church, who carry on, who believe this same theology, right? These apostles' doctrine. And if it's just one big umbrella, even in conservative Christianity, then there's many doctrines that we cannot preach. You know, the doctrine of election, the doctrine of God's sovereignty, the nature of baptism, even as we talked about it. You know, the, the process of sanctification and how that goes on in our life. And one of the richnesses that, 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 uh, that fellowship has is that it does have parameters. And those parameters are doctrinal parameters. They're around the apostles' teaching. You know, that we have these things. And so when we look again at fellowship, we have to realize what fellowship isn't. Fellowship isn't some political entity. You know, I want the church to stand up. I want the church to all of a sudden uh, go with this candidate or whatever it happened to be. The church is not a political entity. It's a spiritual entity that speaks of salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, the, uh, the, the church, again, is not this, this unity at all costs. But it exists in certain parameters. And let me just say and name one other thing before we go on and talk about what the church is. And it's basically not this. It's not some dead institution. It's not against this empty ritualism that we go through. You know, when we think of, again, a dead institution, empty ritualism, probably the one that comes to mind. And what I talk about is we just go through the motions. We do this and we do this and we do this. And we just stand here and go through the motions. We don't know why we're doing these things. You know, we just go through the motions. There is no life that happens to be there. And probably the greatest example of that is the Roman Catholic Church. You know, if you ever go to a Roman Catholic Mass and you see all the things that are done and then you ask your Roman Catholic friend at the end, why did you stand up? Why did you sit down? Why did you kneel? Why did you say those words? Why did you cross yourself? You know what they're going to say? Is this, I, I don't know. You know, that's just what we do. That's just what our fellowship does. And that's not fellowship. You know, and we can many times pick on the Catholics, but I think a lot of times we do the same thing. You know, we come out to church because that's the thing that good Christians do. You know, we listen to a few prayers. We listen to a few scriptures uh, read. We sing a few songs. We listen to a, to, 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 to a short little homily on the glory of God, and then we go home. You know, and we don't recognize, we don't remember anything where we go home. We don't enter in on the meaning of the songs and sing it as a praise to God. We aren't listening to the scripture as it's being read, realizing this is being mediated, this truth, into our hearts and lives. You know, and let me tell you something that fellowship isn't. It is not dead ritualism. It's not some empty institution that happens to begin right there. But it's living. It's dynamic. We're connected. Think about it. We are connected forevermore to the head who happens to be Jesus Christ. But we're connected to one another. And I wonder how many times, you know, we look at the church and we downplay the significance of the church. It's because we really don't know what the church is. And one of the reasons why we struggle so much with the intimacy, again, of our relationship with Christ and the intimacy with others is we don't understand what fellowship is. 
You know, and let me ask you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, do you have some of these false misinterpretations of what true fellowship is in the church of Jesus Christ? Because let me say, the, the New Testament really defines what, what fellowship is. You know, and I want to say it again, it is the fellowship, right? Right? I mean, look at the beginning of verse number 47 once again, and I want to really ingrain, or verse number 42, and I really want to ingrain this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And we could say this, and they devoted themselves to the fellowship, right? Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones writes about this. Uh, Ken and I were just talking about Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's one of my favorite expositors. But listen to what he writes. He says, so what does it mean? In other words, the word fellowship. Well, I've looked up the word. And it means a deep association, a true communion. I love that. A close relationship of which the highest example. In other words, the nearest we can get to it is this example. The highest example is marriage. It is a word that sometimes is used to denote a partnership in the business. In other words, there's clear parameters of what we do, how we function, um, where our fellowship is. It's not just meeting occasionally in a church building, shaking hands at the end of service or meeting and going home. That is not a church. No fellowship is involved in that. But listen to what he says true fellowship is. True fellowship is never anything superficial, right? It is deep. It is vital. It becomes the main thing in life. When people become Christians, they become one. They enter into community. They are in a family together. They are united by certain bonds that are, and look at that word, indissoluble. In Otherwise, they cannot be disintegrated. It's amazing, isn't it? You know, it's so, un- it's so common for a person today you know, when they've been saved maybe 20, 25 years, to belong to four or five different churches. And why? Because they have dissolvable relationships that happen to be in their life. Relationships that are clearly easily discarded. I don't like something in the church. I don't like somebody's political view. I don't like how, how it's treated. I don't like this. I'm just going to go somewhere else. You know, I've gotten enough out of this church. I've grown enough. I think I can grow more over here. And I'm just going to end, terminate, uh, uh, make these relationships dissoluble and move on. Let me tell you, that's not true fellowship. Fellowship is a union with Jesus Christ, which unites us together in one of the closest relationships. In fact, Jesus Christ gave an excellent example of this. You know, remember the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he asked that famous question, you know, what, uh, well, what can I do in order to come into your kingdom, Jesus? And Jesus asked him, keep all the commandments. If you've kept all the commandments, then you'll have life. And he, and he answers Jesus, I've kept all these commandments from my youth. You know, and then he puts his finger really on his lack of love for other people. And he says, go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And he went away very sorrowful. And the disciples are really distraught by this. And they're really distraught by this is, if this man is this moral and he cannot come into the kingdom. What hope have they? And there's an interesting conversation that takes place in between Jesus and his disciples in Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse number 27 about all this. And listen to what it says. Jesus looked at them and said, you know, again, who can ever come into the kingdom? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, now listen to what Jesus says. 
Because this goes along with this idea of fellowship. Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake in the gospel. And listen to the promise he gives. When you come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, here is the promise. For, for my sake in the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. And what do we see that receive a hundredfold? Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. He's talking about here right now. And he says it's not going to be easy all the time with persecutions. And in the age to come, this is evidence that we're truly born again believers in Jesus Christ. And he says in the age to come, eternal life. And some of you know that horror that breaking of heart, that when you have come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, some of the relationships have been terminated that happen to begin in your life. But you also know this, that God has given you some of the most intimate, some of the most glorious relationships that you could ever have in life. You know, it would not be, again, improper to call some people father in your life. And the reason why is because they've raised you in the Christian faith. There's a connection, there's a closeness that happens to begin with them. The same with mothers. You know, there's a connection, there's a nurturing that takes place. Sometimes when we talk to individuals and talk to one another, there's such a bond that we feel like we're brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I had this experience, again, many times that happened to be again in my life. You know, there happened to be again a oneness with people that happened to be around us. And the only way to explain this fellowship, the only terminology that we can use many times is family, Right? Right? These family relationships, although they're difficult many times, they're never terminated. They're never thrown out. But they are to grow because they are in Jesus Christ. And the love of God has been poured into our hearts. They grow deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper through all of the struggles, through all of the adversity, through all the trials that happen to begin in life. This is true spiritual fellowship. We care about one another. And you can see that right in the text here. You know, there was a devotion to one another. They could hardly wait to be with one another and be taught the scriptures, break bread, pray together with one another. And again, if you want to seek authentic Christianity, if you want to see, again, what this love of Jesus Christ looks like in its infancy before everything else starts happening, before false teachers start to invade and all these other things, it's right here. This is authentic Christianity. God has created a love for other believers that we had nothing, nothing want. You know, we had uh, no want of these things that happened to be there. First John chapter 3, verse number 14 says, We know that we passed out of death into life. And how do we know? How do we know that I'm a born-again believer? And this is why. Because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And when he says it does not love, he's not talking about, again, just love in general. He's talking about loving the brotherhood, truly being with our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ and the family of God. I love God so much that it has this horizontal love for those who have been touched by his grace. And let me ask you, do you love coming to church? Do you love being with God's people? Do you consider yourself part of the church? Is it one of the most vital, important aspects of your life and the relationships that happen to be there? Or, or, or do you love, again, others that happen to be either the same political persuasion or neighbors or those who happen to have the same sports rather than this love for the Lord Jesus Christ, rather than this love that happens to be, again, of other people? You know the amazing thing that happens to be, again, about this love? 
You know, it really boils down to care and nurture of the body of Christ. In fact, look at verses 44 and 45 again in this passage. You know, right after he talks about this, he talks about the, uh, the uh, apostles who did signs and wonders. And then it says this, and all who believed were together. In other words, they're fellowshipping together, knowing one another, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. I mean, isn't that amazing? You know, a lot of people see early form of communism here, and it's not an early form of communism. You know what communism is? We sell everything that we have, and we've come to a port, and we throw it all into a pot, and then somebody else divvies it up to every individual, even ourselves. That's not what it's talking about. When it talks about they were selling all that they had, they were giving it to people in the body of Christ who had need. Right? They couldn't stand seeing somebody else with a need that happened to be again in their life. And they were so compelled because of the love of God and the love for other people that they had to sell these things, even if it hurt their own lives. You know, when you look at materialism today and you wonder, again, what it would be like, because this is the Christianity, this is the church that shook the very foundations of that society. You know, and you think again how nurturing this church was, how caring this church was. And remember, it's a love for God that translates this way. You know, how, how, how it changed how people looked at Jesus Christ. And I wonder again how our church would be, again, if we truly had this much of a fellowship that we truly couldn't even stand, we couldn't even tolerate somebody else in our congregation hurting. We had to help. We had to minister you know, and that's what fellowship is. And let me just say, just before I close, again, a name, uh, three elements that happen to be, again, of true spiritual fellowship. You know, and uh, I hope this helps us. I hope it gives us direction of what true spiritual fellowship is, how it exists. You know, and, and the first element is, beyond a shadow of a doubt, true spiritual fellowship cannot exist. It cannot exist. It cannot exist unless one is born again unless one has been given new life from above. You know, this is not something we conjure up. This is not something, again, that we make up, and we just hope, again, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we'll love people that happen to be around us. But we realize God does a work in us. Certainly, we cultivate that work that's going on in our hearts. But the Holy Spirit of God has poured the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, this other-centered love, this sacrificial love. He has poured that love into each individual. And let me say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that this... Fellowship cannot exist in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ unless individuals in the church, unless the membership of the church has been truly born again. You know, a passage that many times we read is regarding marriage is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse number 14. And listen to what it says. And it says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And then the reason why is because of this. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Now think of that. Marriage is one of the most intimate relationships that we have in this side of heaven. And there's a command here, again, for those who happen to be believers in Jesus Christ, not to marry unbelievers. And why? Because it's such a close association. Well, you think again of the other close association that we have this side of heaven. And it's the same principle, isn't it? What fellowship has light with darkness? How can we be that corporate witness? How can we love one another as we are supposed to love one another if we have not truly been born again? 
You know, and one of the things that we have to realize is our love for one another, and we can certainly cultivate this love for one another. This is not something natural. You know, it seems natural that I care for this individual, I care for that individual, or whatever, or forgiving this individual, or forgiving that individual. But what do you have to realize? That even though it seems natural many times, that this is a supernatural work of God. God truly has poured a love that is so different from the world that happens to be around us, so different from loving marriages, loving families that we see in the world. It is higher, it is deeper, it is more glorious. And it's a witness, again, of Jesus Christ's love for us, you know, and his sacrifice that happens to be again on the cross. Now, the second aspect, again, of a spiritual um, uh, fellowship uh, that, that we have is not only do we have to be born again, and I'm not going to go uh, long on this one because I've already mentioned it the last week and a half, and it's basically this. It has to exist within borders. It has to have parameters. And the parameters, again, of our fellowship together is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the doctrine, it is the teaching that was once delivered to the saints, right, which we have in the New Testament right here, which we have, in fact, in the whole Bible. This is the document. This is our fellowship. It's around this. And this defines the borders, right? If somebody all of a sudden says, well, I don't believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then we can't have fellowship with them. We cannot have that true spirit. We can be a witness to them. We can be kind to them. We can be generous with them. But we cannot have that deep, robust fellowship, right? It exists in doctrinal parameters, right? That's why we know the Word of God. That's why we come and hear the Word of God. That's why we love the God of the world, uh, the, the God of the Word, the God, again, the God-man, Jesus Christ. We realize this. You know, and there's a third element that happens to be, again, of true spiritual fellowship. Not only do we have to be born again, not only is it around the Word of God, the Word of Christ, the teachings of the Apostle on Jesus Christ, but the third element is what I would call um, a true freedom. You know, and when you think of that, I think there's a longing in every human heart for people to know us. I, I really think that is. You know, to truly be human is to truly be known. You know, and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God knows us, doesn't he? He knows our, our foibles. He knows our struggles. He knows our hopes. He knows our aspirations. He knows our trials. He knows our temptations. He knows our failures that happen to begin in our life. And one of the things I love about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is this. It defines who we are as a person and as people. Isn't it true? Right? My righteousness, I want, to, uh, I want you to, end it. I want to say something that you already know. My righteousness is not found in me, right? I don't have to stand up here and say, I am absolutely perfect. You know, I've never lied, I've never lusted, I've never got angry. I don't have to stand up here and say, look, I perfected this life in Jesus Christ, and that's why God loves me. The gospel defines why I'm loved. I'm loved because of Jesus Christ, because what he has done. And, here, and here's what it tells me. I am still a work in progress, and there is a long way to go in this human heart. And why is that so important? Because if the word of God tells that about me, it tells that about you. I don't have to pretend I'm somebody I'm not. I don't have to pretend I don't have struggles. I don't have to, to pretend I, have, I, I don't have doubts. I don't have to pretend that I never get depressed or I never get angry or I never even get hopeless. But I can be honest with my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And the reason why I can be honest with them is because they already know that truth about themselves. They already know what the Bible says about themselves. 
And one of the things about deep, abiding fellowship, and why it's so important to come to church, why it's so important to be part of the church, why it's so important for us to be devoted to the fellowship, is because we need to be known. We need the encouragement. We need the rebuke. We need the correction. We need the guidance of one another that happen to be in our life. And out of all the places, we can be misunderstood by family members. We can be misunderstood by our bosses at work. We can be misunderstood by the world that happens to be around us. We can be understood. And you know why? Because the gospel defines us. And I wonder if we are truly cultivating those kind of true, those kind of real, those kind of authentic Christian relationships that they had in the first century. You know, this is true biblical fellowship. It is around what? What's it around? Our salvation in Jesus Christ, being born again, being given this new life. It's around the doctrine, but here it is. There's true freedom that happens to be in this fellowship. You know, the question happens to be, again, how important is the church in your life? And I think, again, a lot of times why we many times shrug our shoulders or why, again, the church seems so lifeless in our life is we don't understand the heart and soul of what the church is. And it's fellowship. Fellowship around who Christ is, around the apostles' doctrine. And how important is fellowship in your life? How important is the church in your life? Is it just a geography? Is it just an activity that you do Sunday morning? The church really does have heart and soul, and that's because of the fellowship of its members. It really cares in the most vital and meaningful relationships that we have this side of glory. And we can praise our God for the fellowship that he's given us at Emmanuel Baptist Church. I'm so thankful for Emmanuel Baptist Church. I'm so thankful that I've known many of you years and years and years in the uh, ministry that you've had in my life. I praise the Lord for that. Praise God. May he give us many more years, and may we be an encouragement, a, um, a challenge to one another to live for Christ. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we look at this, Lord, our hearts are just amazed. Lord, our hearts are just in wonder. So often, Lord, people talk about reinventing the church. And we realize, Lord, what you have built, what you have started, Lord, what you are still building does not need to be reinvented. Lord, it might need to be reestablished. It might need to get back to the first things. Lord, we might need to get ourselves back to learning and cherishing what is known as the Apostles' Doctrine, which is all around Jesus Christ and Him crucified, yea, risen from the grave. Lord, we might need to get back to recognizing where true spiritual fellowship is among the people of God. Lord, that caring and nurturing and truly building these life-altering relationships where, you can be, where we can be used in other people's lives and they can be used in ours. Lord, that reestablishing is all around, Lord, the table of the Lord. This institution that the Jesus Christ has begun, uh, God, because the heart and soul of why we are brought together is the perfect life, Lord, that perfect obedience of Jesus Christ and his substitutionary death on the cross. And God, we realize that one of the ways that our hearts are knit together is, Lord, really to know one another, that we can pray for one another, not superficial prayers that you would be that God that you would be with one another. But, Lord, the prayers that get down to the nitty-gritty of life. Lord, the struggles that individuals have. Lord, the doubts, the concerns, the depressions. Lord, the frustrations that people have in their life, the anxieties. 
and truly entering in, Lord, on the warts, the wrinkles, Lord, the foibles of people's lives, Lord, as they enter in on our life. Lord, help us to have an openness. Help us to cherish our times together. I thank you for so many opportunities, even on our church calendar, to fellowship together. Help us to make means of other means, Lord, such as the phone, such as texting, such as email, or whatever it happened to be. Lord, just encourage one another with the greatness, with this vast superiority of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you have called us into fellowship. Lord, may we never take it for granted. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother.